on anchor you can listen to us everywhere podcasts are found at 16 millimeter film crew podcast leave us a rate and review and you can visit us on our website at www.16millimeterfilmcrew.com so this week we watched amsterdam uh the synopsis is as following uh set in the 1930s it follows three friends who witness a murder become suspects themselves, and uncover one of the most outrageous plots in American history. Um, That's like the vague overview. So this movie is directed by David O. Russell. It's starring Christian Bale, John David Washington, Margot Robbie, Rami Malek, Anya Taylor-Joy, Robert De Niro, Michael Shannon, Michael Myers, and Taylor Swift. So, Dale, thoughts? (laughs) Um... mm. This movie is a lot. It it has a lot, but there's no substance to it. Um, it's basically if you if you know the internet, there is a meme, all made by Cartoon Network called "What Too Many Cooks." I feel like this movie is probably one of those examples of it. There's so much. This movie is like so so overly bloated with all these talented actors, but the plot, like it just even though it's based on like somewhat based on a real event, it just, the plot just drags and meanders. And, you know, so, and there are moments where, you know, Christian Bale's doing his monologue thing, or, you know, or John David Washington or Margot Robbie are doing their monologue thing, and it kind of takes you out of what's happening on screen, because the camera focuses too much on the person not saying anything and monologuing, and it's devoid of, you know, substance at those points. Yeah. Yeah, um, I was um, rolling my eyes during most of this movie. Like, this was a hard watch for me <laughs> because the script sucks. So, okay, one thing I, I'm trying to I'm trying not to do is to just like poo poo everything. I'm gonna be careful with my words. The script is not as um, developed as I would like it to be from a movie of this size with a director of this caliber and with a cast of this caliber. I. The script was not, um, it wasn't, it was not hitting as the, as the kids say, like it was a very heavy handed, convoluted script. Um, it was so cheesy and I think that's the only way I could really describe it is just being very cheesy and a little cringy in places. And there were moments where there was supposed to be humor and like, it wasn't funny, so there was that, and it's and it's um it was difficult to watch because like these actors are so great, like this the roster of these actors are like unbelievable, right? Talent, but talented, amazing, talented everywhere, and you can see that they're doing their absolute best to try and pull this out, but it's just it just doesn't work like it just it really doesn't work and the thing is when i saw the trailer i was like i don't think this is going to be good but people kept talking about it because it was david o russell and it was christian bale and jd washington and mark robbie so like the hype around the performers was what was really drawing this movie but in terms of like what i saw from the trailer and then what i experienced watching it in the theater i was like yeah this isn't this isn't 
my thoughts when I watched the trailer were affirmed when I was watching the movie. So yeah, and it's it's weird coming from David O. Russell, like he's a prolific writer, director, you know, Three Kings with George Clooney. He's done um The Fighter with Christian Bale and Mark Wahlberg. Silver Lions Playbook. You have issues with the casting in that movie. It was still an amazing movie. You had the movie, like literally the biggest movie right before this, like that I think people were assuming that Amsterdam would be like American Hustle. You know, like he's has like um like he's really talented, but I feel like this movie is just something happened in this movie where nothing came together and it ended up feeling like as i was watching the movie like i can see why it underperformed in the box office the way it did like the movie budget is 80 million dollars it's only made about 10 million so far this as of recording um and i could see why that happened because like the theater i was in it was just like me and like two other people and there are moments where like, you know when you laugh because something's supposed to be funny, it's not funny, you do that fake laugh, like, ah, uh, one of those laughs, the other person, one of the people watching, we started doing that at moments where it wasn't funny, just because the the movie, it's described as a comedy, but nothing in the movie was funny. And after a while, with the bloated roster of actors, it just became a revolving door of, guess who's showing up this scene? You know, it goes from, you know, Timothy Oliphant to De Niro to Anna Joy Taylor to, you know, Rami Malek. It becomes it's like the the use of those actors in those scenes and they're off the door, you know. Um, it wasn't to the strength of like a show like I would say the best cameo was Atlanta this past season with Liam Nielsen paying a parody of himself. Like he didn't he didn't take over the plot of the show, whereas this movie ends up becoming a revolving door of guess which actor's gonna show up next and so on and so forth. Yeah, and it just wasn't and this is, he's not the only person who has done this, David. There have been multiple other directors who have done, like, a let's just pack the movie with a bunch of A-listers. And that's, like, the extent of the work. Like, it feels like they don't, they think that because the cast is so good that it will make up for the lack of um, work that they're doing on a script. Yeah. And so you have a great cast, but a just a convoluted bland story where there's just a lot of elements and none of it feels like it matters like however every time I'm like okay wait I feel like they're gonna go somewhere with this scenes would just drag on a little too long monologues would go on for a little bit too longer than they needed to and then it wouldn't really amount to anything and then because of that the stakes felt so low like I didn't care about what was happening. I didn't care about any of the characters. I was just like, I'm ready for this movie to be over now. So I think one of the best parts for me was probably Anya Taylor-Joy. I think I liked her character enough where she was just like ridiculous and like just a chatty lady who just kept talking. And I like, I enjoyed that. But everybody else was just like, I, I can tell that Christian Bale, John D, J, David Washington, and Mark Robbie were really trying to like get these performances out. But people like Robert De Niro, Robert De Niro just like shows up and says words and then leaves. Like he, <laughs> he doesn't feel like he's trying anymore. Like he's at, he's at the point of his career, Robert De Niro just plays Robert De Niro. Exactly. Like you know exactly what you're going to get. And that's so boring. And that's so weird to me. Because when I think about like him and then I think about an actor like Meryl Streep, who like they both came up around the same time. Meryl Streep never phones in a performance. 
And she's like yeah. maybe around the same age as him. I'm not sure exactly, but they seem like they're around the same age. So it's like, why are you phoning it in, Robert De Niro? Like, <laughs> I know you got other things going on. Like, I'm sure you, I mean, he runs like a film festival or whatever, but like, if someone's going to pay you to show up, like at least like show up and do your, like really do something with the character, make it interesting. Like, don't just play the character that you've been playing. But, and that's the thing, that's what I, I have, this is my main gripe with the movie is that when I watch a movie like Silver Lining Playbook when, where the script was tight, like that was a tight script. Like every, and then also everyone gave like a thousand percent to that. Even Robert De Niro, like he really went hard on that script and I'm mean, on that story and gave a really good performance, I think. So I'm just, I'm confused on like how we got here. I guess that's my confusion. It's like, cause even American Hustle, the story was a little bit convoluted, honestly. I, I thought it was a little bit boring towards the end, but it's still, like, there was still a sizable amount of it that, like, made sense. And the performances were great as well. So it kind of carried it through. But, like, with this one, I'm not really sure what happened with this one. Like, it just was so all over the place. There was way too much music. Like, there was way too much singing. Like, I can't stand that. Because I'm not a musical girly, like I think we, I think we know that. So whenever yeah. someone like breaks out into song, I'm like, why are you singing right now? Like this feels so. It just takes me out of the movie so quickly. And there's a scene towards the end where like everything is being revealed. Like it's like the climax of the movie, and they're like arguing with the Germans or whoever, whoever those people were, and then they break out into song. I'm like, what mm. is going on? <laughs> Like even 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 before it broke out on the song, like the moment I saw the scene where they had the the, the Nazi soldiers on one side and all the Black Corps veterans on one side, and they're shouting, and then the camera cuts to them like facing each other. Literally, I was like, "What is this the West Side Story?" Like, right? Like even even without the music, I was like, "This is really like bare." minimum like scraping the barrel of setting up a confrontation between those two groups that led to nowhere in that situation like you saw a few punches fly and then the scene cuts directly to something else so all that conflict like because you could have explored something there because these are like white nazis fighting at a black military veterans event which you know they're having that event in honor of a white man who stood up for them to form their own regiment who still, even though they come back home fighting for the country, get mistreated. And they're dealing with, they're fighting Nazis. There's so much in that one confrontation for like a minute or so that could have been explored, but no, we cut to something else. And then we have Christian Bale's monologue for the next 15 minutes that goes on for far too long of any movie. Like, so long. I hate the way this movie's edited. I hate it. I hate the editing. Um, And also like, Yes, you're right. It's like, that's what another, probably another big issue is that like, a lot of these conflicts are so surface level, like they'll mention a bunch of stuff that you're supposed to care about, but they won't go into depth with it. Like how we don't treat our veterans right. Like you have black people fighting for the country, even though black people are being abused in and killed in the, con in the country that they're trying to fight and serve. Like they're like, there's so much stuff that you can do with that. And they, like, really, like, was like, you know what? It's not about that. It's about living your life and being happy and love and friendship. And it's yeah. like, okay, well, it's so annoying. I hate when thing, when movies do stuff like that where they, like, 
give you this like hand fisted like this is what our movie's about it's supposed to be deep and they just don't do anything with it it's like watching men it's like okay so well what are you trying to say about men that they're bad or something like give me more context like actually do something with whatever your whatever like social topics you're trying to pop off and they just really they just really dropped the the ball with it like it was just like nothing there is a there is a scene where like and i think it's just two issues i have with um john david washington his character Mm -hmm. there is one scene i have where a overall introduction well that the alex of editing like the pacing and editing was weird it went from it went back it went to the whole initial conflict of you know of Taylor's character dying before did the flashback and then it jumped back like that whole introduction of John David Washington and his flashback of the military veteran felt very much like hey I'm just gonna copy glory like because literally if you watch glory we're introduced to his father Denzel in that movie for insubordination for stealing rations and stuff like that for black troops he's in there because he failed to listen to a white officer who wasn't giving people medical care like it really was like very handy like hey i'm just gonna copy his dad's role into this movie and just set it instead of like civil war into the um the the first world war which is kind of funny because it's all black regiment in both conflicts and the main guy in the red regiment acts the damn same way i think that's Mm -hmm. lazy writing to be honest but then when He's describing like, oh, when he used to live in Texas, there were clinics like this, the four sterilization clinics. He doesn't go into details like, oh, two men came up to me, does and two men come to me and try to get me to to join them. And all the characters are like, okay, like white people to this day had no idea that black people like like far right militias, the same issues we're having now, were trying to forcefully sterilize black people, and they surface level discuss that where. They could have dealt with so much more anger and path of like energy of him describing that and actually pull it because and it's and it's weird because the movie is supposed to also make me believe that him and um uh Margot Robbie's character have a relationship and they too much they do so much showing like telling us hey they love each other instead of showing us they love each other like like I like and it's weird because. I don't know. I guess it's because they, I don't, I don't know. Like, I feel like they didn't give chemistry, like their chemistry was weird and it felt believable on scene. Like John David Washington has acted against other actors where you could, you could feel visually the, their the relationships there. Same thing with Margot Robbie. Like she's done like two Will Smith movies and every Will Smith movie she's in, you can see that there's some kind of attraction, even if it's not real or not, mm-hmm. we were going, we were going to that, <laughs> but I didn't, I didn't feel like there was like, Oh, we love each other. That kind of thing. You know? Yeah. It's like, I feel like what they did with his character, especially like dealing with potential issues for black people and like the whole nazi issue and and the issues of veterans coming home black veterans and all those issues which are a big portion of what was happening in this country like we're on the precipice of civil rights issues something like that so much of those issues could have been carried and elevated and illustrated using john david washington's character and it did nothing but once again that's a weakness of using social issues which this movie kind of minimally covers and having black characters who these issues affect and white writers because david o russell did write this movie not understanding how to use those issues in the plot 
Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> that's exactly right. And I and I feel that too. I feel like I can't say it's so interesting that you mentioned the chemistry because I felt that way too. I was like, I don't fully believe in this love story or that they would like they seem like they're friends, but not yeah. like they're lovers. And so that's the that's the key difference. But a lot of it, a lot of those smaller moments with them is banking on you believing that they are in love. So it's like, mm. I feel like through watching some of the interviews from this movie that it doesn't seem like Margot and John David, they seem like they're cool, but it seems like she probably had like a more closer relationship with like Rami Malek or someone, not really with <laughs> the person she's supposed to be in love with in this film. Maybe that came out a little bit. I don't think John David is like really... I think he has great chemistry or he had good chemistry with like Elizabeth Debicki when they did Tenet. I think that was a good chemistry kind of thing. Yeah. But like in his other movies that I've seen of him, he doesn't have that strong of chemistry, especially with like white female actors. His yeah. chemistry with Zendaya was off the charts in Mako and Marie. Like I totally yeah. believe that they were together. So I don't know what that's about. Maybe that's like a personal th- I'm not really sure but it is something that I have noticed in his movies where he's had to like be in love with other people I just sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't and maybe that's just him maybe that's also Marco and I, we don't know but yeah either way I didn't buy it <laughs> I, I was not sold on the romance so and that and yeah it's just there was just so many times where it felt like they were trying to say something. They were, and it was super like obvious. Like this whole movie is tell, don't show. Like that's literally that should be the um, the title of the movie. The the, the advertisement. <laughs> we will tell you everything, and we will show rarely anything. Like that is literally what this movie is. So. And then that ending was just like, are you kidding me? Like, that's what this is about. I don't know. I got so frustrated. No, I wasn't even frustrated. I was just annoyed. Yeah. Because I was like, really? That's what we've been building towards? Like, it's about the Nazis? Like, that's, where, that's really what this is? And the thing is, the worst part about it was once their little organization of the five logo comes up, you instantly get, you, it's, it's not hard. Like, once that logo comes, like, oh, this is a Nazi movie. Mm-hmm. And that from from that moment, you're really no longer interested on how they get from point A from point B because you know it's a Nazi movie. Now you're just trying to figure out, is it an alternate history or is it still going to follow like real life and to the Red Scare and all that kind of stuff? And then mm-hmm. and then that 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 dang monologue at the end goes on far too long. And, and then the movie has a, what, almost a three hour runtime. And I do feel like two hours of that was just a monologue. Because at one point I'm looking at my phone just like, oh my gosh, when is this movie going to end? And I'm scrolling through Twitter and I look back up and it's still holding on Christian Vale's face, like zoned out on drugs. And he's still going. Like, like the best, like, understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to talk about, you know, the issues of love and hate and, you know, how, you know, um, rich men, you know, they're invested in the war no matter who wins or who loses they still make their money on both sides a lot of companies in the past have double dipped on both sides you know even the u.s military the same training and weapons the terrorists use you know they got uscia training you know that kind of thing like like the the rich and powerful not getting punished for what they do like as much as most non like star wars fans and most people who don't like um like pathos and all this other stuff 
Like, I think Ryan Johnson, when he did The Last Jedi, communicated though that same very message of like love and hate and you can't win a war on hate and how rich people always don't really care about who dies in wars because they still make their money he communicated that same message and so in a much more beautiful and artistic way in that movie and it was so much like it wasn't it was so less heavy-handed in this movie like it was such a depth touch where you got the message communicating effectively where this is this just just trying to beat you over the head with with those ideas and concepts you know yeah totally and yeah that's so true it's like i hated every moment that they stopped to be like love wins like art is the only important thing in the world it's like why are you telling me this like you didn't it really it really felt like david or russell was like the audience is not going to get it so we really have to tell them everything and I don't appreciate that as an audience member. Like, <laughs> I don't appreciate the um, idea that I am dumb and I will not pick up on these things. Like, it's just ridiculous. Because also, it's like, who are you making this movie for? Obviously, you're making it for people who, like, love movies and who are, like, cinephiles or whatever. Because it's so pretentious that, like, of course, that's who you're making the movie for. So it's like, why wouldn't you think that we would pick up on it if you would have just done it? did we have to have each character stopping like face camera and give like a whole monologue about how art is so powerful and how love wins out? Like you didn't need to do that. Yeah. And then that entire monologue that Christian Bell has at the end where it's like, he's on drugs and it's like, oh, is he shot? Is he dying? No, he's fine. Yeah. And we just looked at his face for like 20 minutes while he ran off this monologue about the things that he's been saying this entire movie, by the way. He, he, he was already hitting those points earlier in the film and he just like repeated it at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, and, "What a waste! <laughs> what a waste of talent!" Like, <laughs> a, a lot of things were wasted because, like, as much as you know, like the unbelievability of Margot and John David Washington's relationship, you had the contrast of you know him and his wife. It's clear mm -hmm. she's you know his family doesn't love him. They're using it as a means to end. Oh, you're another doctor, and you fought for a war. She's rich, Park Avenue, that kind of thing. And it's clear that you know based on their interaction it's like she doesn't really love him it's a it's a it's a money marriage in a way but then instantaneously you see zoe zaldana in like the first five minutes in the movie and then she comes back with her arm broken and then and he's like oh yeah i love zoe zaldana's character and you're like wow you guys only like visually only got saw you guys together like twice in this whole movie but now suddenly you're you're in love with her like like how 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 david or russell tell me Tell me, I, I I can get you know the whole thing you know John David Washington and Carrie and um Margot Robbie's character that mutual attraction of them in the hostel, him she taking care of him, and but then throughout those those scenes in Amsterdam, which this whole movie is based off, like you see them interacting. So you go, okay, they they don't really emote or visually tell me there, but I can at least say all right, there's there's a threat of their relationship building. I get two scenes between Christian Bale and Zoe Zaldana, and now they're both in love with each other like come on yeah it's like the thing where the movie like make keeps telling you something so like you have to believe it even though yeah. it's not believable <laughs> it's like this wouldn't happen yeah. um i guess the only like saving graces of this movie for me was cinematography for there were some shots where i'm like but i don't think that has to do with the cinematography i think that's more like how it was probably storyboarded like Someone asked for these shots to be taken, not that they were bad, but just that like 
that they weren't shot well, but it's just like the the shot itself wasn't good. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm. Like okay. The worst. I get what you're saying because to yeah. me, one of the, one of those shots, like I said, this movie just drones on for like three hours, and then it does the whole thing. Mm. One of the shots that I remember the most of, like being like, "What the fuck?" is during his monologue, he talks about um, uh, Robbie Malik and Anna Joyce. Android's character about how they hatch this scheme and everybody knows this, and it goes to a Dutch angle, and Remy's like laying on the couch, and she's like rubbing his head, and they both turn and look at the camera. I was like, that's the most cringiest shot I have ever seen in my life. That is unnecessary. It could have just maintained that whole thing with them having their flashbacks of planning this whole Nazi thing, because they, they did that. They had them, like, drinking champagne to a picture of Hitler, you know, they flash back to them, like, actually meeting, you know, both Christian Bale, John Deere, and Washington, Margaret's characters there, and they decide, like, they could have, you know, did, like, showed him talking with the other people, or, you know, showing the murder of, you know, the original general, but no, it was a crappy Dutch angle shot of both, both villains looking up at the camera, you know, <laughs> we hate Dutch angles. I don't hate Dutch angles, I like, it's, I'm a per- like the proper use of them. Okay, I don't hate the Dutch angles. I think my issue with Dutch angles I had before was you know with the Joker when he was talking about yes, how, that's, that's how it was it. how how it was an amazing shot. Dutch angles are are are, are basic shots. Let's be honest, are basic. But it's just the fact that that's that scene with Anna Joy and um, Rami Malek was just so fucking corny. Yeah, like we're the villains. Yeah. Look at us. It, it was like, like yeah. come on. Which is ter- terrible because um, Emmanuel Lubitz- is it Lubitsky? I-, I think that's how you pronounce the last name. Who's done yeah. like all of Alfonso Cuarón's movies, which is like he's Wonderful. arguably where right, he's arguably one of the best cinematographers ever, like to work, like to do the thing. So yeah. again, it feels like a waste of talent. It's like you brought in all these good elements and you did absolutely nothing with them except for make just like cringe, like. It's like posting cringe. Like that's how it feels watching this movie. It's just cringy. Um, the wardrobe department did a great job as well. I'll I'll say that. So the wardrobe and the cinematography, for the most part, were like the saving graces of this movie. But everything else was just like yikes. Like this was a whole. It felt like a total letdown. Like if you cared about this movie at all, like if you were like watching it, or like if you were like watching or seeing pictures of it from set, like from, so all that stuff, and you were like following it as it progressed along, like this is what you got, I would be angry. Yeah, like, when I heard the news of it not doing well in the box office, I was like, it's, it's you know, it's, you know, I mean, David No. Russell is a known actor, but it's kind of, if it's Christian Bale, it's going to kind of be more of an art kind of movie so i was like okay it's not i can understand why people may not want to see it you know but then i watched and i was like oh yeah this this movie bad like bad bad so Mm. yeah yeah it's not it's not great at all and i again i felt this way when i saw the trailer when my friend sent me then was like you guys watching i was like "Mm." doesn't look it doesn't look great because i guess the story overall just didn't draw me in i was just like it's about three friends in the 30s traveling around i'm like there was weak there was like there was like he was like three friends nurse doctor meeting war and a senator there dies and it's nazis and i feel like he just did a patchwork like how do i get from point a to point b 
Mm-hmm. And usually when you write, like, like I'm not going to say I'm the best writer in the world. Usually you'll write once to just to get your point. Then you'll periodically go through, like, I don't like how that works. And then you'll change this scene. And then because you change this scene, you go, okay, now I have to change this scene. And you're constantly always going back and forth between two scenes. And this movie doesn't feel that way. He just, like, I need the plot to progress from here to here. And then that was it. Like, yeah. It feels very much like the first draft of the script. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's one of my issues with it. I'm like, dog, this is not strong stuff. Like, this is something, yeah. like, this felt like maybe a good idea that you need to go and work through for a couple of years. And if he did that, then that's sad. But it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like it when you watch it. And also, I kind of feel like there are a lot of older directors who, I don't know, start off doing really interesting, groundbreaking work that felt like it had urgency to it. And as they progressed in their career and they've gotten the success that they wanted, um, they've just been banking on people on their name of like, okay, I am this director. So whatever I do will be good. And so I can get the best talent and I can get the best cinematographer and the best sound editor or whatever. Like you can get the best people on it because of my name, but they don't invest as much in the story and they probably aren't taking as many risks because they're in like a, you know, I've made my name, so I'm good. And so that's a little, maybe this was like inevitable. And like, this is where it was always going to head because there are a few directors who follow that same, follow that same path where it's like, the stuff isn't exciting anymore. Like it was back in the day when they first started, when they had like nothing to lose and like, you know, and now it kind of just feels like there's such a safety net. So all the stories feel super safe. Yeah. And, and which is boring it's like the worst part about this because this movie was announced in uh 2020 like back mm-hmm. in january back in january and then principal like the actual filming was late because covid mm-hmm. and so i didn't actually start filming till march of last year march of 2021 mm-hmm. like during that covid like i'm always wondering was there like like when movies have delays in production i'm always wondering what happened between the announcement and the delay of production? Did they actually go back and try to take another take of the script and see what they can improve on? Because if if you improved upon the script between a year and this is the improvements you made, that means that first script must have been horrendous. Like, horrendous, mm-hmm. horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you have that, and then they move up the release date because they want to complete with uh, Black Panther and stuff like that. So... Yeah, and and I and I feel like he was pushing all of this into this movie because you know a couple of years ago with the Sony leak, you know, a lot of his you know intricacies like it brought back up his issue with him and George Clooney getting into it on Three Kings, you know, him and Lily Tomlin getting into it during um in two thousand three, you know, and then you had you know Amy Amy Adams you know talking about American Hustle and how Christian Bale had to intervene, and then you had his issues with his um transgender niece. You know about him touching her breast. So like all the all the stuff like after yeah. so during the, yeah all that stuff was like that happened in like 2011, but all that stuff like came back during the Sony half. So I feel like this movie he was trying to like, you know, somehow find a way of sweeping like that un- under the rug in a way, mm-hmm. I guess because so Sony Lee came out in like 2014. And like right. the last, the last major movie I think was American Hustle. Nobody really watched 
you know, accidental love because that was a bomb. That was that was crap as well because that that movie actually started in two thousand eight, and then he left the project and it actually got released in two thousand fifteen. But like a lot, this is like the first major movie he's had since you know the Sony hack reintroduced all those controversies had. So I feel like he was trying to use this to turn public opinion back in his favor by just cramming it with stars. Like this is gonna be the greatest movie ever. It's just gonna like re rebirth my career because to go from 20, 2013 to 22 without a movie as prominent of a director he is is a big gap so mm. so yeah oh okay i didn't know about all that i mean i know about the amy, amy adams stuff and that he was difficult to work with and i guess that's another thing where it's like how the prestige of someone's name and career can like motivate people i guess to just do stuff even though the tactic and how like actually they work is very questionable and borderline abusive yeah. like after that whole amy adam thing i was like i was shocked that christian bale was starring in another movie with him like i was very that was very confusing to me and all these other actors margo i'm like girl what are you doing in here like it's very strange it's very strange because he because he's one of those directors who was like, I am the director, so whatever I say is right. Like, if I tell you to do this, you need to do it. Like, I'm top man here and everyone else, we're just, you're just props in, in, in the cog, in the, in the wheel of my vision of whatever this is going to be, um, which I don't love. So yeah. I was kind of annoyed the entire time because I, I don't even want to see this movie because I know it's not going to be good. But... I watched it anyways, and I was right. So well, whatever. <laughs> because because it was one of these independent movies, I have to drive downtown in Atlanta in like four o'clock in the midst of heavy traffic, just to go to the art theater to catch it. And as I'm walking to the car, and you know, reading before you know you're buying your ticket, and we you know we plan this, we plan our our movie schedule of what we watch. And it became closer, like, okay, I'm about to go watch a movie. The news comes out about it bombing your box office. And I'm as I'm walking to the theater, I'm like, do I really want to watch this movie? Because is it, and I'm like, is it as bad as it says? I'm about to spend, even though, yeah, it was $10, but I'm about to spend my damn, my damn good money and spend gas to watch a movie. And, if, and I don't want to sit there if it's bad and then have to sit in traffic on the way back home, you know, because it's Atlanta, you know, mm-hmm. and f- be pissed off because I waste like, like at almost an hour, basically an hour to get downtown because of traffic, sit in the theater for three hours, and then sit in an hour again just to go home and be stuck in traffic. Like, like it's plus five hours out of my day gone to see a bad movie, okay? And I walk, I'm walking here, like, is this is gonna, is this gonna be as bad as they say it is? And lo and behold, it was bad. Luckily, I didn't have to sit, on, sit into traffic going to the theater and coming back, mm. but still, but still, like, yeah. it, it was, yeah. And there's been no compensation for the no, loss. No compensation for the time loss. <laughs> All right, so whatever. What are we rating this? I, I'm... Yeah, I'm going to give this like a... I can't even use two out of five, because two out of five is still... It still would still be somewhat good. So I'm giving like a two out of ten. You know? Okay. I'm giving yeah. it a two out, of, two out of ten. So it's a 20%. Mm-hmm. You know, like... Like the like, there's there's so much could be done with this issue of you know because this movie's supposed to be a political conspiracy and all that stuff, but there's so much political social stuff 
that could be in this movie. And yes, you're going to get these white liberal boys saying, we're tired of politics and social issues and our entertainment. Be honest, as a black person, my whole life, all my forms of entertainment, honestly, my existence has just been one giant social and political issue. So buckle up, white boys. It's going to happen to you two now that we're in a day and age. you got to deal with it. I've had to deal with the last 30 issues of my just me being me as a black man in this country being a political and social issue. So guess what? Now you can have your entertainment and things you love be invested with it to a degree that, that I've had, you know. So, but there's like so much in like, because it's real American history to a degree, like so much stuff in there and they do nothing with it. The plot just goes on and does nothing like relationship is unbelievable. It seems like three these three people were just thrown together. And like I don't feel the camaraderie. Like like and because it's three people, I'm sitting there comparing it to like Harry Potter. Like Margot Robbie's supposed to be Hermione. John David Washington is supposed to be Ron and because Christian Bale is the male lead, he's supposed to be Harry. At least with those three, even from the first movie as children, like they're twelve years old. I felt more come I, I visually saw more togetherness and camaraderie in a in a in a group of like like 10 year olds working on their first major movie together than these successful actors you know like this whole movie from like top to bottom was like just rubbish like except for the except for the art department you know and cinematography you know like costume you know the cg the the editing people you know cg on vfx to look make the city look old props department with the cars all that top to bottom amazing you know and I find it's funny that we've watched like two back to back, like not two back to back, like two period pieces that end up not being that good. Usually, mm-hmm. period pieces are usually a little bit better than this. But yeah, this mm-hmm. this movie, yeah, it's not going to win an Oscar. It's going to win a lot of Razzies though. What if they like threw it in there anyway? That would make me. Oh, that, look, I feel like they the might. Oscar, the Oscar. They might. They, they, they might. Yeah, over there. So. Mm. Um. Yeah, I gave it. I think I gave it like one and a half stars out of five on Letterbox. I was just like, we were wasting my time. Like, <laughs> I was so upset. I was so upset. But yeah, it's not good. And the reviews already said it wasn't going to be good. The trailer didn't look good to me. But I mean, whatever. I, 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 the thing is, I liked the trailer, and I was like, okay, this this I, might work. I knew this it might work. I was I, like. I like this. This this my work is. I see a bit of a buddy cop thing. Margaret, like I didn't see enough of the interactions in the trailer to realize how bad the movie was gonna be as far as their relationship dynamic for all three of them. But then watching me, I was like, damn, you know. And I'm not a person who's like whole wholeheartedly like go with critics because yes, we are critics too. But sometimes those these big critics that get allowed screeners and actually get to rate movies mm-hmm. before the rest of us do. All the, they're not right all the time, you know. Right, even even uh, even us as as fans who critique movies, we're not right all the time. So like we might, there might be a movie that that I hate that somebody like you might like or vice versa. Like all the time, these critics critics usually are right, but with this movie, oh, them niggas was right. Like you know, like a broken clock is right twice a day, and sometimes the critics are right twice a day. So yeah, my spidey senses were tingling. I already knew it. I said. Mm this don't look good to me <laughs> and every single time where there's a movie where there's like a stacked cast i get nervous because i'm like it almost seems like a shield like yeah. we're trying to protect this the fact that and it's I, not good with these great actors so go watch it like I, don't trust I, it. I, I honestly think that's also to the degree i think also because i think of the early 2000s there were so many 
movies with stack casts, like I mentioned accidentally love that's in his repertoire, you know, like all these movies that had stack casts that were supposed to be comedies and funnies that bombed. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's like thing like, oh, the movie's bad, but we have like, you could go watch Halle Berry in this movie. Like all those movies like that. I, I, I think you're right. I do have a bit of a, might have a bit of a, I'm going to say PTSD, but Spidey sense should be there. Once I feel like, a, like a cast of like 10 well-known actors, like this is like, like okay, Ocean's the Ocean Eleven series might be the only outlier of having a stack. Yeah, cast that was fun. And being good and probably <laughs> American Hustle, but nine times mm-hmm. out of ten, if the movie has like a stack cast, I'm prepared for it mentally not I'm prepared for it mentally not to be good. Yeah. So. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> okay. New box office. Um, box office. Yeah. So of course I did mention in 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 our critique and our review of the bomb that was New Amsterdam. Um, and of course, there, it's kind of a, a lousy weekend for the box office. Though In total, they've made about $60 million for the like, like 11th week in a row. A uh, weekend in a row. And, and it's under the... And the no, it's the... This weekend they made $60 million, And it's the 11th weekend in a row where they made under... 100 million and the seventh in a row where they made under 75 million so they say this hasn't been a stretch this bad since the summer of 2021 and you know that was the period of people with covid or nobody's going to theaters but they're hoping once again you know with halloween and then next week you have halloween ends and the halloween trilogy and black Bottom, and also all your holiday animated features that'll bring Hollywood on the slugfest. Like October and like this time of year is always bad for Hollywood. So I don't know why they always go crazy like, oh fall, movies are bad. What do we do? Like it's historically always been the worst spot for movies because usually you have it's not like summer where kids you have endless time you want to watch family movies. The holidays, you know, family movies once again where you have a variety of movies. This time of the year is usually like everybody is like working, working. Like fall is all is synonymous like work. You have kid like people in school are like taking finals and study like and stuff like that. Working mm-hmm. adults are like focusing like, look, I I gotta save money for a traveling somewhere during Thanksgiving or Christmas or birthday gifts. Like fall is like the one time I I, I don't expect movies to do well unless you're like Marvel. All of a sudden, Marvel decides we're gonna release a movie during October, which Marvel for some reason doesn't. They like to release their movies like March and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, the big draw um this weekend of course was Smile, even though it dropped by two percent. And the biggest shocker of the box office was the fact that La La Crocodile, you know, jumped Amsterdam, which movie we talk about, which is a soccer a shocker, it being a, a a little I don't think like I didn't see much advertising about it, but the fact that, you know, it has constant zoo in it and I think um s- some songs from like Sean Mendez, you know, in the movie, the fact that they had jumped a movie like this, like we said, like written and directed by David Russell with a stat cast, and that's a shocker, you know. So, yeah, and then of course, uh, don't worry, darling, and woman can take up the bottom spot. Um, but we do have um, Kate Blanchett's um, uh, Tar, which has shown in like four locations, I think. And it's gonna go like thirty like this coming week before it um after fully I had have the opportunity to come see it 
um tomorrow but you'll have to wait until we actually talk about williams hall to get my views on it um but for the domestic numbers um debate debuting at number 10 for this week was a terrifier um it's about the resurgence of you know a clown monster in a in a city which targets a teenage girl and her brother during Halloween night. So of course any kind of scary movie with clowns is always gonna this time of year is always gonna pop up. Um, Top Gun Maverick is at nine twenty weeks in the box office. It might get a boost because Neil deGrasse Tyson decided to watch the movie and started tweeting about how the movie doesn't make sense because they decided to do a, a Star Wars trench run instead of shooting out the lasers. And all the replies were Neil deGrasse Tyson saying, well, shut up, and he didn't watch the movie. Because he asked, he said, it doesn't make any sense. Why didn't they do just this? And everybody was like, in the plot of the movie, they had to tell you why they didn't do it. And it basically, it's like endless thread of everybody telling him to shut up because he decided to science a fun movie. Um, of course, you got Brothers, which uh the Billy Bishner movie about two men falling into a relationship at... um. Uh, bros at eight, uh, Barbarian Hall of Fame at seven, the Avatar re release, um, at six, Don't Really Drop Darling, uh, probably one of the biggest drops, um, uh, from weekend to weekend. Last week it was number two, this week is at number five. The Woman King dropped down a spot from three to four, of course. When we talk about this weekend, Amsterdam debuted at three, and La La Crocodile premiered at number two, and of course, Smile Hell Steady at number one. Um, domestic, uh, internationally. Um, the biggest movie internationally right now, like we said, it's because the malaise of fall is globally, it seems like it's the Avatar re-release. And Mike, I don't understand why are you, why are people going to watch the re-release of this movie? Nothing was added to it. It's the same movie we got on Blu-ray and DVD a couple years ago. So like, what's, what's the clamor? And it's on Disney Plus. Yeah, and it's on Disney Plus. So like, why are you spending like almost $15 to watch a movie that came out like how many years ago that we all have copies of on Blu-ray and DVD and can see on Disney Plus? Like that's that concept is baffling to me. But <laughs> let people spend their money how they spend their money. Um, but that's it on the box office number side for me. Okay, so basically, all the news has been focused on one person who won't go away, um, Kanye West. Um, so basically, he has done quite a few things, but um, I definitely started during Fashion Week where he debuted his line, his Yeezus line, with shirts, t-shirts that said "White Lives Matter," and um, everyone was very angry about that. Um, Jaden Smith walked out of his show. Gigi Hadid had words for Kanye. Um, Haley Bieber had words for Kanye, I think. I don't know. He came for her. He came for Gigi. He came for Justin Bieber. He came for everybody, actually. So that kind of kicked things off. Um, And then he continued to just be, um, you know, himself. And then he tweeted in a now or since deleted tweet. He said that he was going to, I think he said... Something about going code red on like, yeah, he was going to go death con three on Jewish people. And he said, the funny thing is I actually can't be anti-Semitic because black people are actually Jew. Also, you guys have toyed with me and tried to blackball anyone who, who opposes your agenda. I don't know what the, I'm not sure what that means, but okay. Um, so basically all um the major Jewish organization, which is the um, Anti-Defamation League, um, well, that Anti-Defamation League 
labeled the tweet as anti-Semitic. I think he got suspended off of Twitter. Um, and then people like Jimmy Lee Curtis came out and said, you know, it's wrong you said that. Please stop. You're a father. Those words um, incite hurt and violence. Sarah Silverman was like, Connie threatened the Jews yesterday on Twitter and no one's doing anything or speaking up about it except for the Jewish community. Michael Rappaport, who I think he was on um, Only Murders in the Building. He's been on other stuff, but that's what I know him recently for. Um, came out and said stuff about Kanye, even though he was like supporting the, his White Lives Matter stuff. But then he talked about the Jewish people. So, you know, he said something about that. Um, the Black Jewish Entertainment Alliance said that, really denounced his comments and said that they were hurtful, offensive, and wrong. So, you know, everyone, I mean, Adidas and brands like that are starting to, like, withdraw their, um, I guess, working relationship from Kanye. They're going to separate themselves from him. A lot of people are distancing themselves from him. Maybe this was the last straw because, I mean, Kanye's been doing wild stuff for years and recently this year has been going off so i guess maybe this was just he talked about the jews and everyone got upset i don't know he talked he i I didn't hear much people saying a lot i mean there were some people but like when the white lives matter thing i people were very quick to be defending defending him on that but i guess when it came to you know the jewish community it was a different situation so yeah, um, I really wasn't like after the white lot, the whole white lives t shirt thing. I thought that was the end of you know the whole thing with uh Kanye this week, but then he's like, I guess he tweeted or uh, EJ tweeted or shared on um IG like text between him and Diddy where Diddy was trying to reach out just to talk to him, blah blah. And he was like, Yeah, that's I think that's where the thing with Jewish people came up. Um, mm. and then Diddy's like, yeah, I'm just trying to talk to you, man. I don't know why you acting like this, because you hurting not just yourself, but our people. And he goes, yeah, you know, bring your boys out, blah, blah, blah. And I'm, I accept your apology in advance. Always like false bravado and calling him a fed and saying, fuck you. And then, you know, he, you know, goes off and gets offset for, you know, lacking posts that, you know, slandered him about the whole concept of the show, the shirts. And then he starts, you know, uh, saying defamatory things about ASAP Rocky and Rihanna's relationship, saying he had sex with another fashion designer, and stuff like that. And then he goes on to Fox News and talks about Lizzo, and saying, you know, her weight gain is a thing of black genocide, and I find it funny. Like, why is Lizzo... What? Like, yeah, why is Lizzo... Yeah, like, why is Lizzo Kanye's go-to when Kanye himself admitted to, you know, when he was actually on his medication and he was happy that he was gaining weight, you know, water weight and stuff like that, he said he had surgery because he didn't want people to make fun of him, and it's clearly obvious from the last couple of years, like, we've seen Kanye as he gets older, he's gained weight, but then every time he has a tour coming up or a show, he instantly has surgery and loses the weight. For, so, for a man who deals with his weight struggles, to constantly go up to, against a woman who does nothing but make music doesn't bother anybody. Lizzo might do some some dumb shit, but she doesn't really, doesn't really bother anybody. Like, I always find it weird that she's the one everybody, you know, everybody, like, kind of the target. But it is, it's funny all this happens during, like, you know, World Health Day, which is this monday as of recording and and i was watching a documentary by fd salinger amazing youtuber who goes in depth much more than, mm-hmm. than i possibly can on these topics and he talks about 
the issues of like not just Connie but um Lauren Hill and you know how they kind of parallel the issues of mental health in in celebrity whereas Lauren Hill she kind of ex- was exposed to it young and she kind of divested herself from it even though the stuff she was preaching on um with the education miseducation of Lauren Hill even though she was very preachy and hotep her lifestyle and things she did with you know relationship with uh Rohan Marley and Wyclef was contradictory to at least she for the most part has stayed out of the limelight you know Mm-hmm. Whereas Kanye, he's been constantly yo-yoing back and forth from each manic episode to a degree. And as a person that uh, deals with mental health, like I, a part of me wants to sympathize with him, and the other part is like I I don't care because at a certain point, a as a as adult as not even as as a man as an adult as human being, you at some point become you have to be held accountable for your actions. And yes, you know people are also bringing up the issue of his mother's death and so people are like oh you can't keep blaming his mom for his actions and i don't think it's blaming i don't think connie's ever actually reconciled or actually dealt with those issues within him you know like everybody knows he his relationship with his mother because his dad wasn't there you know and him like what paying for her surgery or whatever whatever so I, I, like when and any, anybody deals with loss especially we don't know how close they are we only assume based on what we see we don't know how close they are and if like a lot of a loss of people is like really traumatic it takes years to recover from it and kanye probably still hasn't processed and recovered properly and that's part of the way he acts out and like he probably was a person with you know mental stuff going on who wasn't really aware of it because he was functioning as fine he had an emotional and support with his mother and then but that was because i didn't wasn't aware I had mental and stuff issues and stuff like that until my grandmother died and stuff came up like it happens. So but yeah, I I, I don't really care about about Kanye because he clearly doesn't care about himself. And I understand those steps he was taking towards, you know, with Jesus and fashion and stuff like that. But um and he wanted black people to be more instead of just we're we're consumers. And it seems like whenever Kanye is always getting vilified by white people or he sees them stopping him, he switches sides and goes to black people. Like, you know, the Pete Davis and stuff and Kim Kardashian. After a while, he was going on a Kim and everybody was like, actually, I agree with Kim. Like, Kanye made people agree with Kim. You know how wrong you have to be for niggas to say, you know what, Kim is probably right in this situation because nobody really likes Kim Kardashian. So, yeah, I, I don't really care I, I i don't like i don't listen to kanye's discography anymore since dark twisted fantasy you know so yeah yeah it's it's crazy because like i don't i feel like what i've come to understand especially from watching that documentary that you were talking about with um fd salinger um is that he's a person who like thrives off of controversy like good or bad if you're talking about him like that makes him feel because he's a narcissist so that yeah. makes him feel i mean i don't mean to diagnose him mm, that he's a narcissist we know what's going on okay yeah um that like makes his world go round is when people are like in conversation with him which is why i really didn't want to talk about this either because i just felt like the more we keep talking about it like it, it still benefits him in some way because we're talking about him yeah but i also feel like I think maybe as a society, we're getting to a point with Connie where it's like we can't keep supporting what he's doing 
because and we can't use his mental health issues as an excuse anymore either so yes i know for me like i wasn't like listening to all of his music after like what was that album maybe the life of pa- i listened to like very life of, life of pablo limited yeah i barely listened to the life of pablo but maybe like after that i wasn't really listening to his music anymore and then when he came out with donda i was like well it's featuring people who I like, so I'm going to listen to it. And I enjoyed it very much. But I think after Kim and Pete got together and all of that other stuff, it was just like madness. It was it was just pure madness. And it's difficult. And it's hard because it's like, I, we don't know like what is him and what is the mental illness or like what the mental illness is exaggerating of his like already flawed personality maybe. So it's like, nah, we don't know. We don't know what it really is. I mean, is it just him or is it, or is the mental illness? We don't know. But I do feel like at a certain point, you have to have like, you have to take responsibility for your life. And if you're not doing that, knowing that you have kids, and then you try to make these like grand political statements and you try to like, you know, get black people to be on your side, but then you know, if your people are on your side, you're going to like turn around and do something ridiculous, like doing a white lives matter. It's just so, it just screams like I need attention. Like that's what it screams to me. Like I just want attention. And I feel like maybe we should just stop talking about him altogether and maybe he'll go away (laughs) and, or maybe he'll just get the help that he needs. Cause every time I read the comments underneath these stories, it's like half of the people are like, Stop talking about him. All he wants is for you guys to talk about him. And then half of the comments are like, I don't know why everyone's upset because it's free speech and it's, he's a genius. And like, you need to leave him alone and let him do his thing. He's an artist. He's a genius. Blah, blah. And it's like, I don't know. I guess his fans are always going to ride for him. So it doesn't really matter in, t- in terms of like his career. Like someone's always going to be there to listen to the music. Someone's always going to be there to buy the clothes. But in terms of like how we all interact with him as like a public figure, I just feel like we need to divest from Kanye. And I feel like I've said that before, but I, I'll yeah. say it again. Yeah, we need to divest from Kanye. Yeah, totally. I feel like I feel like, and that's also the thing about this situation with his def- um Semitic comments about Jewish people, because it's funny, white liberals kind of really didn't say anything about the white White Lives Matter shirt. But most once the target went to Jewish people, the floodgates opened up, and I always find it funny. Like it once white people become the victim. Let's be honest, Jewish people are white. Um, it some of them are black. Some of them are black, but let's be honest, Jewish people are white. Um, it it the reaction once you go against white people for the same issues you've gone against black women or black men the floodgates just opened. Like, I saw people bringing up, like, like, re- rehashing, like, oh, like, the Will Smith stuff or whatever, and, like, yeah, Judd Apatow going in on Kanye, and people were saying, you remember, don't forget how you over-infatuated how just Will Smith could have killed somebody with a slap or whatever, and you have Sarah Silverman, who is herself, she is Jewish, but she's also done performances in blackface, saying how wrong it was for Kanye when she hasn't even herself apologized or made a statement about her herself performing in blackface. Um, it's it's always weird how these floodgates open up these 
like MLK said it perfectly, he's worried that he integrated his he he wanted integration rules people into a burning house. Like literally um get out. Like white liberals really don't care until the issues or rants of somebody is there to target. So and I think this goes back to Kanye with about how he wanted to break the glass ceiling and be seen more than just a rapper. I think at this point, he's kind of reaching the point of diminishing returns where I think for the most part, us as black people, except for a younger generation who's still like, like core into his post 808 career and that stuff like that mm. are, are still fans of his, whereas older ones aren't. And I think white people are kind of starting to themselves divest from Kanye, considering, let's be honest, the people that were blocking him from entering fashion or even music are the white people with money. Mm-hmm. So, I don't I don't think it's a, I think it's the end of Kanye personally. So, yeah, we're yeah. nearing, we're nearing, we're nearing that, that point, so. Yeah. But it is true, I feel like and that's kind of one of the things that irritates me the most. It's like, if you're going to ride this hard for your own people, ride hard for everybody. Like, because I know that there are some people, and they're mostly like people who are like very, not, I won't say very, it's hard to talk about like liberalism in terms of like, white people, like celebrities, like, like, like left-leaning celebrities, like people like the Hadids or or the Biebers or some like people like that who are yeah. who are left leaning um, and who will say something like who will be like, nah, this is wrong. And then you have other left leaning celebrities who will stay quiet until the issue affects them personally. Um, I think we saw that earlier this year with um, when the the Supreme the Supreme Court decision was of where we weighed. Yeah. Where we weighed was um reversed where it's like y'all were silent for a bunch of stuff but like when it came to abortion everyone was like um actually women and it's like i know y'all don't even be writing hard for black women like that like you're not even paying the black women in your industry correctly so it's like it's interesting that when it hits you in your specific little community that's when you have something to say um and i just feel like if you're going to ride for your Jewish community, you need to ride for women, you need to ride for black women, you need to ride for black people. Like that's just how you need to be. If that's what your politics or, and that's what you're saying, that's your politics. Um, so it is interesting that Sarah Silverman, and also all these other people are like popping up out of nowhere um, saying what they have to say. And they were, they were pretty quiet on all the other stuff. And Sarah talked about the silence being deafening. Well, your silence was deafening too. Like your silence has been deafening. So that's just something to keep in mind is like, don't like be on everyone's team who is on, who is, who is being defeated in this world. Like that's just what it needs to be and keep that same energy. Cause if you're not going to, then I really don't, I don't really want to hear what you have to say. Like, even if you're right, cause you are right. But <laughs> there's also that. It's like ride for everyone. That is that's just what it needs to be. Look. So it's it's funny, the golden rule we're all taught us growing up was treat others how you want to be treated, but that only goes into effect once it's an issue like people like those people yeah. feel perfectly. And I also want to end my statement by saying 
if you are offended with us talking about the issues that some white celebrities portray, please remember this is a black podcast. You know, we're two black millennials. So mm. whatever we talk about dealing with the industry as a whole is going to become from a, a lens from that which we observe. And mm-hmm. we're not, we're not going to be an echo chamber that only says kumbaya because there are some issues that I do think as black culture we have wrong. There's some a lot of issues I do think as a white culture go on. So don't like don't be don't be don't just say we're being racist and mean if any oh, we have white listeners listen to this or in the future if we get more listeners and we could become bigger listeners this episode. Like our our experience as as black people as young black people also influences how we consume and understand not just media but also how we explain things that happen to us and news like this yeah and everyone's perspective it's usually willing to hear everyone's perspective even if you don't agree with it yeah um, uh, we're like if you yeah. if you think we're wrong with some issues like hit us up in the dm we'll like we'll have you on the show we'll you know, talk about it. it we'll talk about it to you like yeah, yeah. yeah we're open to it so yeah yeah because I'm not, and I want to clarify, I'm not saying that the outrage from the anti-Semitic comments is less isn't warranted, isn't yeah. important to, yeah. isn't important or is or isn't warranted. It definitely is. I'm not saying that. I absolutely believe that it is. I'm just saying that like there needs to be that kind of support for everyone who has been kind of thrown on the bus, thrown under the bus who Kanye has directed, like Kanye is driving the bus, you know what I'm saying? And running us over. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like Let's all be on the same team. That's what I'm literally saying. Yeah. That's what I'm, or that's what I'm trying to say. Um, but in terms of like mental health overall, I think you know you have you've been open about your mental health struggles. I I'm not. I haven't been diagnosed with anything. I you know what I'm saying. But I've definitely struggled with some stuff with anxiety and all other stuff. So like, listen, there isn't a person on this earth who isn't going through something. So yeah. like none of us get a free ride in life we all have the difficulties in the way of like tragedy our background our experiences how we grew up like all of that stuff informs our mental well-being so if you are struggling there are so many resources out there to like help you i found so many resources there's these online therapies that you can take um or that you can engage with I, it's never going to be as good as like being in person, but it definitely is like a helpful tool. Like if you're really struggling with something, honest, honest to God, like it's really helpful to just talk to someone who has something, who knows nothing about your situation and kind of get that third party advice from like a professional. Um, there's podcasts, there's books, there's like so many different things that you can access to help you um, while you're struggling and knowing that like you're not alone, like all of us are dealing with something. Yeah, like, I know for me personally, I used to deride the idea of, you know, self-help books, but as I've become older and understanding, like, my mind, like, understanding how who I am as a person is an ongoing process of actually reading a lot more self-help books. And if if you're a person, you're like, I know it for me when I was initially, like, like, when I was going through my issues and I took myself to a mental facility, like, I was wary of, you know, the affordability of having a therapist there plenty of apps and services like even if you don't want to pay for pay for apps you're worried about them using information there are plenty of options for 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 group group therapy sessions because a lot of times when people are dealing with stuff they just want a shoulder to to vent to 
And in those group sessions, I learned that I'm not the only person dealing with a lot of these issues. It kind of does help when you realize, like, no man is an island. It feels it. It is wonderfully helpful when you realize I'm not the only person dealing with this. There are so many other people dealing with dealing with it. And if I know if they can, you know, somehow help themselves dig out of that hole and are willing to extend, not even dig out a hole. If they're in the midst of their own battle and fighting out of it, and they're still have the empathy to reach out to help me deal with my battle, I can I can deal with it. So, yeah. Yeah. And since listening to our podcast um, about movies, find mm-hmm. a comfort movie. Find a movie that makes you feel good, that helps you escape. I know I have mine. Yeah. Um, that's also been really helpful for me just to like, that's what movies have been for me all my life. They've been an escape mechanism. They've been there to like help me understand myself and the world around me. So like find the things that make you happy because this world is crazy (laughs) and you won't go crazy if you don't have those anchors. So yeah. Okay. Um, you kind of went over your, what you've been watching lately. Yeah. Um, I really support this man, like FD Salinger. He is dope. Like I've sent videos to my friends, my mom, like he's really good. He's explained everything that I've thought about in such greater detail with their research and everything. So I support him, go watch his channel, go subscribe to him. He's dope. Um, I watched Do Revenge, which is the latest Netflix rom-com. Is it a rom-com? It's not a rom-com. It's like a... It's like a 90s homage thing where, I don't know, I can't, it's, I can't describe like what exactly it is. It's crazy though. It's insane. It's stupid. It's fun and it's bright and it's like loud and it has Camila Mendes from Riverdale. Not a huge fan of that show or her acting really, but I'm a fan of the person. I follow her on Instagram. She's pretty <laughs> cool. Um, and um, Maya Hawk, who's the daughter of Ethan Hawk and Uma Thurman, if you don't know. She's also in Stranger Things. She's Robin. Um, they're both in this movie. Ethan from Euphoria is in this movie. He does a great job. I didn't realize he's, because Euphoria is like a difference. This is a different situation for me, but like he's a really good actor and he's done a bunch of other stuff, but like he was mm. so good in this. So, if you like any of those people, you would enjoy this movie. It's really, it's crazy. Like it's kind of cringy in some of the dialogue, but it's just like a good, like if you just want to like not think too much, have fun for like two hours, watch it. Cause it's so much fun. Yeah. I like, I, I like the, the vibe I get it because it reminds me of like, you know, mean not just mean girls but you know jawbreakers all those seminal yes i think i think the 90s was like the perfect time period for for young girls but they had so much so much movies coming out you know jawbreakers heathers all those movies you know and it's it's weird because it's not just that it's also inspired by hitchcock so it's a kind of Mm -hmm. weird Mm -hmm. a weird fusion of both you know 90s teen dramas and like murder mystery type shit which i find like like I, I like the, yeah. the merging of those two concepts in your head. Don't think they would work, but they actually do wonderfully, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, and so, yeah. Yeah, it was, a, it was a mess. I mean, the 90s were like a really confusing, pretty problematic time in terms of like messaging in movies. But I do think there was like a funness 
and almost like a creativity that was happening during that time period where it's like, if you were a young person, you could really like relate and just have like a great time in those movies. Like Mean right. Girls is a staple in my life. Like, and, it, and that's not 90s, that's early 2000s. But yeah, but that, um, that you know, sliding scale, yeah. Yes. So watch it because it's actually really good. Like I heard so many people talking about this movie and I was like, I don't know if it's going to be that good. And then I watched it and I was like, oh yeah, this movie is really good. <laughs> and it's not good in the ways that you think it would be, but it's good in the ways that I guess count if you're just trying to have like a great time. Like that's what this movie is. So I think that's it. Did you watch anything else? Did you want to add anything else before we go? I mean, no, that's it. Just, you know, watching, like I said, FD, FD his, his documentary is on YouTube doing that. You know, also I've also been like, sparsing other you know youtube uh commentators Ooh, what have you been watching i it's, feel like those count because those videos like, are long they're over hours they're like over hours it's, yeah it's more so like i think the most the most recent one i watched and i think it was in light of you know you know of course the andrew tate stuff was it was deconstructing hitch and and mm. i found it funny because hitch is one of those movies where even in college some guys like yeah I'm gonna watch Hitch real quick before I go out a day and pick up some tips. And I I love the really? fact I loved yeah, yeah. Like like and I love the fact that it doesn't just deconstruct like the whole like pickup artist thing, but it also deconstructed Hitch as a person, like in that movie. Mm-hmm. So yeah. 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 I watch I feel like I talk about him too much. But I, oh yeah, but also just within FD's stuff, the video he did on um dissecting the manosphere excellent yeah. i think everyone yeah. needs to go see that give it to your aunties give it to your mom give it to your sisters like give it to your male friends it's so good and well detailed and just a really good explanation of like everything that you kind of need to know about that and how it affects our lives especially as a black community like oh he gets into yeah. some stuff and I, I was like yes that's good yeah and i i, I think I don't know. I think a lot of men don't feel like hearing that their shit when honestly, where sometimes we could be kind of, kind of shit. And this is this is coming for me too. There is a lot of stuff that I myself, a lot of toxic stuff, I had to learn and you know reprogram and change my way of thinking and stuff like that. And it's not to say I was just oh I popped out like hey, I have two sisters. I'm going to be the perfect guy now. Like even I had to learn to like as I got older rethink how I think about women because even even though I had sisters, I have a mother, you know, I was still behaving the same way. So it didn't matter like the whole connection of oh she's someone's daughter, she's someone's mother, she's someone like, you know, it only happens when you think about your your the women in your life. But I had to reach a point myself where I had to deconstruct my way of thinking of viewing women in a certain way in a negative space. So everybody's growing at their own level some people get there further and some some people some people get there earlier in life and some people don't change at all so but (laughs) so there's that um it's sad to say but some people don't change at all so you're stagnating that's that's all you are as a person so you're like you die at like 70 years old so yeah that's definitely hard but um there's some other things i've been watching on youtube i watched i watched a video on the try guys like that whole um situation uh one of my favorite youtubers kenny jd she broke that down and i was like okay great i'm ready for like all the tea but yeah that's wild and then um i 
watched another one of my favorite, he's like my favorite film critiquer, um, Karsten. He talked about Blonde, so mm-hmm. the, the Ana de Armas movie, and broke that down. Oh, Lord. And everything that I said on here, he said, but he said it in like a more... Smarter way? A better way, because <laughs> yeah. he actually watched the yeah. movie, so he had the context to talk about it. Yeah. Um, but everything I was saying, I was like, yeah, exactly. That's exactly how I felt, and that's exactly what it was. So those were like some good staple things to watch, um, especially if you're like into the internet, into pop culture, into movies. Like those are some really good YouTubers to look out for because they have really good videos that are well thought out, and they're funny. Like they're interesting. Like yeah. Two, two things. I, I found the Try Guys stuff hilarious because you got. Like the fans themselves bought into the whole wife husband marketing thing they pulled off, and you're mad at yourself. Mean, honestly, you should be mad at yourself for taking the bait. Let's just be honest. It's it's any kind of guy that goes, oh, I love my wife, like that kind of thing over and over again, where it becomes their character. Kind of take it a degree with with caution, you know, like well, you you, you, did your, you did it yourself. And then honestly, like I do think like YouTube has like boomed and become this amazing of like amazingly well done documentaries on much more like of course you want your nature stuff you got National Geographic but like since you know TLC is divested from being actual you know documented learning shit like YouTube has become that go-to place like on on any topic which is sad because you're gonna find documentaries to support negative points of views but YouTube has just become like a wealth of knowledge for like any topic any subject if you're if you're bored and you're doing work and you want to learn something new man just google just youtube any random you'll find a a documentary documentary on it and you know yeah i love it i love that though especially when it comes to like film criticism where you have like 20 year old film students in their bedroom talking more in depth about a movie than someone who writes for the new yorker like it's actually crazy (laughs) but i love that i love where we're at like this is shot in my bedroom right now, you know. They, they, so. Exactly. Like, <laughs> it's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, okay, so that's it for us this week. We hope you take care of yourselves and having a great week. Make sure to check out all our social media. Um, check out any or research any links for any mental health issues. We'll probably put some in there so you guys can check those out. Um, support us if you can and Au revoir.